Hello and welcome to Illawarra 360 on the South Coast Football League Podcast. A bit delayed this week. It's really Thursday instead of Wednesday because we wanted to get in the Birmingham Cup semi-final between United and Bulambi, which took place last night, so we put it back a day. Not much football to review, plenty of football to review, but uh, Jordan, you want to start off with a little statement first? Yeah, I uh, just wanted to start the show off. I thought it was an important. Uh, this is an important topic to talk about Uh on the weekend, uh, unfortunately, it was a pretty uh, sad one for a lot of uh, the Kaima High School alumni. One of our uh, students in my year um, passed away from suicide on on the weekend. So, um, look, I just think, and it was yeah, everyone everyone shocked by by what's happened. And I think that I just wanted to put it out there that um, that Darcy will be missed. And um, look, it's 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 crucial to. Um, to speak out if anyone's having having problems, it's and we need to sort of break this stigma of toxic masculinity and, and not talking about it. I think it's a very important thing to to talk to your mates and, and ask your mates, are you okay? And and um, really check in on on everyone because look, this this can affect anyone. And yeah, I just wanted to start the show off by saying that it was a pretty shocking uh, uh, weekend to be honest. But um, yeah, just hopefully it, it's uh, a, a topic and a an issue that improves a lot in the future. Yeah, it was very shocking to hear that that occurred, and I'm 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 seeing you you were close to to Darcy, so I'm really sorry for your loss and to anyone that was close to him. And suicide, something that um, unfortunately has rocked the Illawarra footballing community in recent years. And unfortunately, it's probably fair to say that we shouldn't be shocked about this anymore, um, and we do need to address this. It actually. The 11th, so a few days ago, marked two years since Justin Cairo, who also took his life, Mm. which was obviously something that really rocked the Illawarra footballing community. So it's something that does, needs to, that people need to continue shining a light on it, continue supporting your mates. And I think that, uh, like I look at the work of uh, Ben McGuinness is doing with uh, Mm. Talk To Me Bro and the the work they're doing, that's an example of a organisation that shows how sport, in that case football, and also through uh, sessions at the gym, can really be a positive um, space to talk Mm -hmm. about these things. And, you know, it's been a while since I've been, um, you know, part of a team dressing room and whatnot, but I imagine that over the years it's been a pretty hostile place in terms of and and sort of festers that toxic toxic masculinity so i think that that needs to change i think i imagine it slowly is changing but uh yeah i'll just echo your your sentiments in that people need to look out for other people it is a massive issue in boys young men our age um and yeah i think that the more that it is recognized and the more it's understood and if you're umming and ahhing whether you should reach out, you're like, oh, I don't really know this person very well. Um, should, I, should I just send a message? Should I not? If you have the inkling that you should, you should do it. Because mm-hmm. you just never know. You just never, never know. I think the I think the age of, of not talking is, is coming to an end slowly. And I, and I think that's obviously a positive thing. But it's, um, as you said, Dylan, to, it's important to reach out and even just catching up with your mates for for a drink or, or something along those lines, like can, it can be such a help to just talk about things going on in your life because 
especially at this point in time, life is um, pretty stressful for most people. So it's very, very um, important to uh, get on top of that if there's any uh, demons sort of uh, battling on in, in your mind, so to speak. Yeah, well said, both of you. If uh, you need any help, check on your mates, be nice to each other. But moving on now, we will talk a bit of football. And we've got a question for both of us. Obviously, we don't have much football to review from round three because most games are washed out. But I'll put this question to both of you guys. I'll start with you, Jordan. Name your four favourite players who have played in the IPL. They don't exactly have to be the four best players you've seen, just your four favourites. Uh, let you go, Jordan, number one. Mm. Yeah, look, I, I sort of went one from each position. And I, and I, my favourite goalkeeper I'll start that I've ever seen play in the IPL is Mitchell Blows. And I only ever saw him play personally in his latter years, but still a top goalkeeper. Uh, Saved in particular when he was playing for Dapto Dandaloo, saved a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of goals and and saved his team a lot of uh, on a lot of occasions and was a, a massive reason as to their successes at at uh, Dapto Dandaloo. Um, and of course had an illustrious career before before uh, I saw him. In fact, um, along those lines, I also went for Alvin Checkley. He's obviously still playing for uh, well not at the moment, but still uh, with Coromel Rangers. Um, I remember watching Alvin uh, as a youngster when he sort of first was playing for Dapto Dandaloo and I could always remember him at, at the Dandaloo sports ground bombing up and down the left flank and it, it actually re- made me re- re-evaluate what a left back does in a team and, I was, and it was really good for a young kid for myself at the time to see that a left fullback's not just a, a nothing position, it's, it's quite a crucial position in the, uh, in the team as most people would recognise today. Uh, Sam Munro, also a Fury, uh, former Fury player. Um, perhaps not. Sam Munro is perhaps not the most gifted footballer ever to grace the IPL, but his work rate and his drive into a team to, in, that he instills into a team is one of the best I've ever seen. And he gets up for every single game, whether it's first v last or a grand final. Uh, he always strives to get the best out of his team. And the last one I went with was uh, was Van Elia for, from Coromel, uh, still playing at the moment. One of the best players I've seen playing the IPL can t- turn a game on his head, or on its head, rather I should say, in a, in a blink of an eye, and just utterly brilliant to watch. Dill, what's your four? It's fair to say all the players that we're going to mention are pretty recent players, obviously. Mm. Uh, I decided to go a little bit left field. I chose four players that I just really enjoyed watching. I don't. I, I wouldn't say they're my favourite players because it's hard to sort of probably describe, uh, make that sort of list personally. Um, but they're also players that are no longer playing in the IPL at least. Uh, Shun Takuno, the left back at Olympic for the 2017 and 2018 seasons. I think he was just a superb offensive player. And I enjoyed in that second season how he linked up with Luke Foster down that uh, left flank because Luke was playing high high on the left and Sean would bomb on forward and Luke would cover. And I thought that was quite a smart way to do, to use that partnership. Um, yeah, superb left foot and really capable from set pieces. Great technically. And I, I used to say to people that, you know, I, I think he could play number 10 for a lot of teams. He was a great player for the two years. He was at Wollongong Olympic. Daniel Akaba, I think is a, 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 a I guess, a, a player that I hold in quite high regard. A great young goalkeeper. He had a superb half season with Fury when he first mm. came into the IPL back in 2017. And on, on the handicap, 
I think uh, handicap in terms of he wasn't in contention for the Golden Glove because he didn't play the full season. I think he was probably the best goalkeeper that year. And um, he was a Coromel, last played at Coromel in 2018. It hasn't played since, but he'll still be in his early 20s now. So I think that uh, hopefully that sooner rather than later, he's back playing in the league because he's a fantastic young goalkeeper. Short, in uh, small in stature, but capable in the air and uh, strong distribution, um, which is obviously very important. On to my third player, Tobin Zoomers, former Bulleye player, oh, yeah. an absolute long shot merchant. And I think that long shot ability complemented that Bulleye side that was set up to strangle sides and really pin sides back. That ability to shoot from range and so it meant that the teams couldn't just sit back. They had to be aware mm. that that was an option. And he was also had that extra dimension of he was a um, ambitious passer of the ball, which is always enjoyable to watch. And finally, Anthony Breuer. He was also with uh, Fury in 2017. Probably potentially didn't play a game with Daniel Arcava because he was injured halfway through the season. He scored 13 goals in just half a season and was the best striker that year. And when he once he was injured, that's when the dominoes seemed to start to fall for Fury because they picked up a lot of injuries from that point. But uh, he was a fantastic finisher, a superb finisher. I was fortunate enough to do a, a longer-form interview with him from with, when I was working for Football South Coast, and now he is with SD Raiders. I think he scored... He had on his Instagram a, a video of him scoring for SD Raiders. A link posted last week, so he's still doing a job there. And uh, yeah, great pedigree, great player to watch. Well, I've actually done up a four, quick list of four as you guys are speaking because uh, someone forgot to. Put you dropped, you dropped this out on us at about two in the morning. I know, and we're divided. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've got my four here. My first one is uh, Shohei Akuno. Self-explanatory. That 2016 season, if he is, he just. He, he took the mickey out of the league, really. We've said it so many times before, but he was just an absolute joy to watch, and he had a wicked free kick on him as well. The second one is also from that Albion Park team that won the 2016 Grand Final, and not many will remember, but uh, my I've gone with Peter Perandalos. Obviously, he was, he was what they used to call him um, before, or with Chris Nathaniel, they both used to call them Diesel because they just keep going all day long up and down the flank. But um, he was part of the back line. Once, they, once Allport sorted out that back line, which included him, and they were just unstoppable at the back. The next one I've actually on, we've actually mentioned today, Justin Cario, when he broke onto the scene, I believe it was about 2015, he was about 16 at the time, and he got stuck straight into first grade. And once he got into first grade, he, never, he, he was never out of it. He was just always there. And my last one is, is just a joy to watch him every week at the moment. He's a bit older now, but Bjornkuk Cho, He's just the class he like he exhibits week in, week out. He's just like I've said, the legs obviously aren't as quick as what they used to, but twenty years of professional experience in all the Asian leagues, captaining your side of the Olympics, representing your country, winning the Asian Champions League. And, you know, the, that class is on on display week in, week out right now. So it's just a joy to watch him, especially within the club he is in. But we will review the one game that went ahead from the IPL over the weekend and Albion Park White Eagles got 2-1 over South Coast United. And you did touch on the IPL and former podcast, Dylan, that Albion Park, in fairness, did deserve this win in the end. 
I believe they did. I think that the man of the match in that game was Jason Bleakley, which shows that Albion Park dominated the chances. Bleakley had a sensational game as the standing captain for South Coast with Greg Vallage pulling up in the warm-up. And Albion Park had a had the weight of the chances. There was a great chance early through Joel Beattie, which Bleakley pulled off a great save. There was a save near the end, which mm. he also made. Um, and a few in the middle. And there was also, like, Morgan missed a, a massive chance. And I think that... Uh, Albion Park, that's, it was crucial for them to get that win because it was their first win of the season, puts them on the board. Obviously, they, uh, they've got uh, all the other teams have a game in hand on them, so they so that uh, was crucial that they were able to bank that result. Um, and I think the positive South Coast can take out of it as well. They were the inferior side, is that they still nearly managed to pinch a point, which... Uh, missing five players. Too. Yeah, and they... Had uh, a few injuries. Uh, Valich, as we mentioned, Wakeling was was injured. Kieran Brodnick, Kieran uh, Ivan, Branagh-Jack, I think was sick. I believe um, stomach bug or something of the sorts. Um, yourself, Jared, pulled up in. No, no I'm up bench more the best, huh? Yeah, well, <laughs> some, some that bench has to be filled. Um, so there was like a number of players that were out of the. Were, taken out of that first grade squad mm. and they were still competitive against a side with uh, as we've said a number of times on various platforms potentially one of the best attacks in the league and also and Greg Valich uh, touched on it on the IPL Informer losing Ricky Batakis in the first mm. five minutes is incredibly frustrating the talismanic striker I suppose um, going off with a hamstring injury in the first five minutes uh Makes it difficult, but I. The, to be fair to South Coast, I, I thought considering that Albion Park, I believe, were deserving of the win, despite the fact that, uh, well, despite all these injuries and despite that fact, once Jamie Wakeling came off the bench and scored, they were still in it for the last five minutes and probably could have got a point. There was a good chance from a from a set piece situation. They probably could have pulled pulled a point out of the bag. 90, Ninety minutes of Wakeling and Petavoli would have been. Interesting. Mm. And, yeah. and Ivan as well. I reckon, yeah. We talk about Wakeley and Petavoli, but Ivan is... He, he, I reckon he's the key to... Rating those two as well. He's very good. No, very he's good. good. Yeah. He is. But um, I'm, I'm willing to nail my, nail my colours to the Petavoli mask, the mask at the moment. He's yeah. a, I love watching yeah, him do the ball. Yeah, he's good to watch for sure. And I'm, it's good that he he went down with that injury a few weeks ago and I was like, fire out of this place took him, the season. Yeah, <laughs> took him 10 <laughs> minutes to take him off. So. But we'll move on to the District League game which went ahead as well. And it was Unidera 4, UOW 0. Picciolini has scored eight goals in two games. A hat-trick of headers. Not a, not a bad return at all, Dill. He's a pretty good player, Picciolini, and he's been a pretty good player for a long time. And to be fair, there's a number of Premier League teams, even in the top half of the league, that would, would be uh, keen to take him on board. Uh, Rod Williams is a coach that has got quality out of Picciolini in the past. He had him at Coniston when they got promoted and were, was a fantastic partnership with uh, Dingo Terzic that season. And I think Unidera are a side that... Um, Unfortunately, given the circumstances, would have been targeting that promotion push. Obviously, most people saw our class as the favourites. Um, but I think the squad that um, Rod had put together at Unidera would probably make them second or third favourites for sure. And 
having the likes of Piccioni is uh, is incredible for any side in that in that competition. And we'll move on to the semi-final the, and the cup from last night. Wollongong United got up 3-1 over Belanda. The Rosellas suffered their first loss since the restart, which is quite incredible, actually. But uh, Jordan, Wollongong United are into a yet another cup final. Yeah, they love their uh, cup football, do Wollongong United, don't they? Uh, I thought I thought the, the, the both teams last night in the, in the match put together, a, it was a good show all in all. I thought United probably had that little bit more quality which came out in the end of course Mason Versi scoring two pretty outstanding goals and and a third one from Michael Mendes to wrap it all up I thought that well it was a top start for for Balambi scoring in the second minute through uh, Liam Unicum um, and that could have really you know dented uh, Wollongong United's chances they could have uh, got frustrated with each other etc and come up against a, a fairly confident Rosella side at the moment so it was it's all credit to United for, for turning that one around uh, yeah, I thought Balambi were admirable in my effort was the word I think I used last night. Um, and they have a very good, simple setup that usually, that mostly goes through Vaughan Patterson and sort of lets the front three uh, off to fly, I guess is the way you'd describe it. Um, but look, I thought all in all, Wollongong United were, were the better side and uh, thoroughly deserving of a, a final spot. Same take, Dill? Yeah, generally... I think the two Versi goals really deflated Balambi because they were they were right in the game, and then those two great strikes were probably took it away from him. And it was raining by that point, half over the second half, and the Rosellas the tank was uh, potentially a bit low, but they they looked to be a good side. So I think that um, hopefully for well, Payne will be hoping that that doesn't take too much out of them and they t- the forces them to drop points against Winuna on the weekend because that's the game they'll be targeting to win. They d- it's Winuna on the weekend. It is Winuna, yeah. yeah. Um, I just want to say, fair play to United. They, uh, like you said, cup specialists for Burt Bambin Cup finals in the last decade, winning three. The most recent actually being two, the most recent win being 2015 when they defeated Dato Dandalu 2 0. And on the score sheet mm-hmm. that day was Johnny Martinoski and Sang Yu Park. And what I'm looking forward to is I'm actually really looking forward to that cup final. It's because, either a Macedonia derby or a heavyweight clash. Mm, big rivalry between Bulleye and Wollongong United. And a, obviously, a Macedonia derby would be an a intriguing clash as well. So, looking forward to seeing how. Next Wednesday, next Thursday's clash. Next Tuesday. Next yeah. Tuesday's clash. There, <laughs> there we are. People close. Moving on now to the round four preview, which is hopefully going to go ahead this weekend. Hopefully no more weather impedes the proceedings. But the first game we've got here is an absolute blockbuster. We've got Bullard against Wollongong Olympic, 2.30pm Saturday at Balls Paddock. This reverse fixture in the previous years has, has, has dished up some memorable moments. I believe this is where... Wollongong Olympic wrapped up the minor premiership last year, I believe so. Well, two of the last three minor premierships have wrapped up, wrapped up in this game at Bulls Paddock. Yeah. Of course, Bulleye winning in on the last day of the season, or well, technically second last day of the season in 2017. And yeah, Olympic did win that game last year. I think it might have been 2-1. Wakeling scored the winner. I'm pretty sure maybe it was 3-2. Wakeling scored a fantastic goal on that occasion. And, yeah, two sides that have been uh, had a good old ding-dong against each other over the last few years. And um, 
It should be a good game. Olympic have a lot of quality players and Bulli are... Uh, a, a ding-dong. That's, really, that's one an of interesting the forms, One of the form sides. No, well, a ding-dong. Going for it. Nothing wrong with a ding-dong. No, no I'm fashion ding-dong. <laughs> uh, Balls Paddock, though, when dry, will suit uh, Bulli's fast-tempo game, Jordan. Obviously, that's what they're known for with the newly revamped side under Julio Miranda this season. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely will. I, I do agree with that. I... I do think that this game will be uh, an, an attacking possession versus a defensive prowess sort of structure, I think. It'd be interesting to see if, obviously, if uh, Olympic, you would expect, would have John Martinowski back into the side. It'd be interesting to see who, who has the job of marking him. It'd obviously be out of uh, either Sam Davis or Cole Jackson playing in the midfield in that sort of defensive role. Um so I feel like that's sort of the crucial part of the game as Martinowski can sort of change games with, with the ball at his feet. Um, I feel like Ryan Edmonton might have a pretty key part to play in breaking down Olympic's pretty solid spine they got going there with with obviously James Bordacino as a, a central defensive midfielder and uh, obviously the uh, partnership at centre-half of uh, Keating and, and Every. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting game. I, I think that uh, another point, obviously, he's sort of flown under the radar, which is phenomenal considering his, his stature is you has a goer. He's... No, it's not. He hasn't really been talked about in the last couple of weeks. He's, I think, well, gonna... because he hasn't played in the last couple. <laughs> no. Well, he played. No he one did. played last no week. No one played last week, except for <laughs> one game. But I, I think that uh, the goals are going to start flowing for him one week. And it's just a matter of time, isn't it? When is it going to be this week? Well, I probably, well, certainly hope not. Special on their home turf as well. Bulleye, obviously, disregarding last year, they're always up the top. What do you reckon, I'll start with you, dear. What do you reckon Bulleye's key to always challenging for that title year in, year out? Take out last year. They're always consistently up there. What do you reckon is the key to Bulleye's title challenging success or so? Well, they've had some pretty good players. That's a a start. They've had some pretty good coaches. That's another thing. And I think that they've had a, a clear structure that they that they have persisted with and I think that is what help, what's held them together. I think Ben Smith uh, carried on from the work of uh, Naughty Alston and then on to Matt Bailey. They, they're just a side that stuck to their principles. Everyone knew what they were doing. Um, when everyone's on the same page, it works out really well. And when it did click, they were probably the best side to watch. Last year was a disaster for them. I've been on record saying mm. that. That was, even though they did win the Premier Cup. Um, but this side, while it's a, a very different from previous iterations of Bulleye, of previous Bulleye sides, do play in a very um, attractive way as well that's ex- exciting to watch in terms of attack. Uh, which goes once again to those similar Bulleye principles, but many would argue that the, the perhaps the pedigree of player isn't as high. But it'll be interesting to see if those players can step up to that mark. And after watching the last couple of weeks, certainly wouldn't rule that out. But we'll move on to the next fixture now. We've got Congilla up against Coniston, two thirty Saturday at Crown Park. It is tough to pick this one because both sides last time they played did suffer a loss two weeks ago, so. They yet to show their response to those losses. But, Jordan, who's the, probably the more fancied side going in this game, you reckon? Good question, Jared. It's, it's Obviously, it was mentioned uh, last week before the, the round three was uh, postponed that 
Cringilla would want to bounce back from their last loss to Anuna. It's and those are the sort of games that they should be winning if they're really a, a top five candidate. And moving moving on to Coniston, I suppose that 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 uh, loss, sorry to uh, Bulleye, the five one loss. It's it's probably I, I feel as though for Coniston that's a one off. I don't feel like that they deserve to get that scoreline. And from all accounts, they that wasn't a reflection of the game. And obviously, a red card in it doesn't help. I think that if you're going to ask me who the favourite is in this one, I think Coniston slightly. But it'll be interesting to see, considering the ground that they're playing at. I don't think Cran Park will be in too uh, crash hot condition or not the best it's ever ever looked. So it'll be interesting to see how Jeff Allport sets up his side. Um, and I dare say that the ground will probably suit Cringilla. Yeah, look, despite there being a bit of rain forecast, obviously, tomorrow and Saturday in the rain last week, I can see Crane Park being one of the grounds that can handle a bit of that weather. But, yeah, the condition won't be it won't be fantastic. But it'll be interesting to see once the forecast weather hits to see what happens there. Next fixture, we've got Volambi up against Winuna, 2.30pm Saturday at Elizabeth Park. Uncharted territory for the Rosellas after suffering their first loss since the restart last night. Uh, Dill, can they immediately bounce back against Winuna on Saturday, do you reckon? Well, of course they can. They're, they're a good side. Their 90 midweek minutes will be an obstacle for them, but they go into this game as favourites. Uh, and that's that's got its own pressures as well because they are a side that... Um, I know Andrew Payne wants them to be seen as the underdogs. But Wununa, they they missed out on that chance to build on the momentum of getting that win and maybe putting two two wins back to back in consecutive weeks. But uh yeah, they they'll 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 be tough and um but I, I just think the Rosellas deserve their favourites tag and at their their home ground, which Andrew Payne was saying it was pretty soft when he was on the former podcast uh, about three three weeks ago. Said it was a bit soft then, so could be a bit bit uh, questionable. Not questionable, but maybe would benefit Wanuna a little bit in slowing the pace of the the, the game down and working against the likes of Cutpurson and Watts and Unicum. But uh, yeah, still believe be the favourites of mine. I feel like Wanuna will feel confident in this one though, considering Bolambi played. The mid the midweek Burbenton Cup semi and we played pretty full strengths, or if not the full strengths, mm. uh, starting eleven. Um, and considering Wanuna's victory against Cringilla in the last outing, they they're all, I always find with Wanuna they're they're quietly confident that they can knock off any side. And mm. I feel like that if they win this game, they'll feel as though people won't start saying the win against Cringilla was a fluke. Insert quotations. Um, Look, I, I feel like they'll be quietly confident that they can pull off a victory considering Balambi might have a slight, uh, not a negative attitude, but they might be a little bit down. But you wouldn't think that, that it, the Burt Bampton semi result would get them too down in the IPL considering their IPL form. Um, but it's just going to be, yeah, a very another interesting clash, I think. If we uh, are going to get the three points on this weekend... What do they need to do to break down this Balambi side? Obviously, you saw them last night. What do they need to do to break down Balambi? There's probably a couple of things. Uh, obviously, probably not letting Vaughan Patterson have time on the ball to pick his pass, to pick the pass in particular to Watts, Cuthbertson and Liam Unicum because last night in particular, they were uh, dangerous at, at times and, and the goal that Unicum scored uh, was actually a crossing from uh, Matt Haslack um, which was a wicked ball in, and, and the Wollongong United defence had no answer for it. So I think Balambi have 
strengths all over the park. I don't think it's a lot of people talk about Vaughan Patterson and and Liam Unicum, et cetera, as as the the main keys. But I think they work together very well as a unit. Um, I think Wanuna would suit uh, obviously a slow tempo ball, sort of not on the ground kind of game. If they were, if you if they were to trying to figure out a, a formula to beat to beat Balambi. Look, I, I think probably the key the key is to to uh, negate the balls into their into their fast men up front because that's where a lot of their if not all of their goals this season have come from. We'll move on to the next fixture now, six thirty PM on Saturday at Ian McLean. We've got South Coast United going up against Tarawana. Another tricky one to pick because South Coast United when at full strength can be very dangerous, but they are still searching for their first win of the season. Tarawana, on the other hand, are another side searching for their first win, albeit after only playing two games. But I'll put this question to you guys. With South Coast United obviously being able to train on this wet, the uh, all-weather synthetic field over the last couple of weeks, not being affected by the weather due to the rain, sessions haven't, haven't had to be adjusted indoors, etc., etc., do you reckon this gives them a slight edge over the Blues going to the, into this one, or is it still anyone's game? Look, it probably does give them a, a slight edge. I'm not, that's not to say that uh, Tarawana haven't been doing their own training. No idea whether or not they've been training indoors or whatnot. Obviously not the same, but I, I get what you're saying, that South Coast training hasn't been altered. I, I think that South Coast will obviously feel confident. I think the injuries will play a factor in, in this fixture. I don't, I'm not confident that all parties that were out last week will be back for this weekend. Um, and look, I think in terms of Tarawana, they they really I feel like there's a lot more pressure on South Coast United as a home team without a win. Obviously, Tarawana without a win too, but Tarawana don't really have any pressure this week. Um, and I think they'll enjoy the experience of playing on the synthetic pitch. I feel in, pe- people say that it's it's tough to adjust to the synthetic pitch. They only played on a couple of weeks, ago but at the same but at the same yeah. time, it it is also. Um, a, it is very exciting for for young players to, or any players for that matter, to play on a synthetic field. It's something You're different used in this, to, yeah. in, in this uh, area. So I I think it's going to be a, a pretty entertaining clash, to be honest. But it'll be like I said before, it'll be very uh, interesting on the South Coast United injury front. And I think their uh, a lot of their a lot of their hopes in this game does rely on some players coming back, which I think they will get a few back this weekend. But I don't think uh, all will be returning. Dill, your take on this game? Really depends, like Jordan has said. Who's playing for South Coast United at full strength? They're probably probably the favourites, but uh, I'd be leaning towards a draw in this one because last time I saw Tarawana, they were pretty competitive. Mm. Next one now, 2.30pm Sunday at Weatherall Park. We've got Albion Park going against Paul Kembla. Albion Park obviously full of confidence after their win over South Coast in the wet last Saturday night. They are one of the four teams who have played a game this past fortnight, so that will pull them in good stead in this one. But Jordan, Port Campbell will be desperate to find some form very soon. Yeah, Port uh, desperately need to start picking up points. But in saying that, uh, after obviously the Abbey Park White Eagles playing last weekend and their victory over South Coast United, I don't see how Port will get anything out of this game. Um, Abbey Park... Would have been pretty happy. Would have been happy with the result, obviously, last weekend. I, I feel like they would admit themselves that the performance wasn't anywhere near as, as good as they can uh, get to. There's, there's obviously early days in the season and a relatively newish side 
at Albion Park. It was interesting to see, obviously, Jordan Nikolovsky came off the bench and scored a, a stunner, but it was interesting to see that he was on the bench and a, a, also a positional change for Jake Layton, playing right fullback as well. I thought that was quite interesting, a few little tweaks at Albion Park, perhaps trying to pick out the, the right 11, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, it would just be interesting to see how they line up for this weekend, I feel. Albion Park won this same uh, tie just a month ago in the Bet Bender Cup, I believe. It was the round of 16. Do we see a similar result for this one, Dylan, or will Paul Campbell finally find their first points of this season? It's an Albion Park win for me, back-to-back for them. And I'll just the only thing I'll add to Jordan's point about uh, the shifting of positions is Brendan Fordham, in my opinion, is Albion Park's best player. And if he's fit and firing in the middle of the park, they're a, a real contender. Mm. And probably if I if I if he plays all eleven games, there's a strong chance of their top five side. He was. Pretty immense on the weekend against South Coast United. He just lifts the team. Mm. He lifts. He's one. He's a good player. Like individually, he's a good player, but uh, not not the same as Sam Munro. Mm. But Sam, like Sam Munro, is another player that galvanizes teams. They do it, and um, obviously, it's it's easy to say this, but it's probably no coincidence he did manage to get the the first goal of the night the other day. He just he just gets there and. yeah, I think that's that him in the Miller Park is a it's it's a completely different side. But yeah, it will be interesting to see whether Nikolovsky comes back in because he's a, a very talented player. Cody Weimar didn't Waymar get any, any minutes, well. so, so that's another one that's coming. Plenty of quality there. Plenty of competition for sports. Yeah. yeah. Next fixture now, the final fixture of the round. It's already been altered in. Uh, just in case of wet weather, we've got Coromel against Wollongong United, 4.30pm Sunday, now at Ian McLennan Park as a precaution, which is a smart move by both parties, thinking ahead. United will have the momentum going into this one after their semi-final win last night, but Coromel have been getting results, Jordan, but still yet to set the league alight. I think we touched on this last week as well. Yeah, I think we did. I think notoriously Coromel are never, well, recent years anyway, not... Never start out of the blocks fully firing. I think that they come into their own throughout the season. I think Coromel just quietly would have liked the week off in terms of getting Van Elia fully fit. Obviously, he made a return to the lineup in their last fixture, but another week off uh, to get him rested up was probably is probably a good thing for this weekend. Well, of course, uh, the same deal with Balambi I was mentioning earlier. Wollongong United played uh, in the midweek Burt Bampton Cup fixture, so interesting to see if there's any changes to their lineup. I personally don't think there will be. I think they will go for their strongest 11. Uh, and, of course, Mason Versi scoring the two goals on the, uh, on the in the Burt Bampton semi. It'll be uh, interesting to see if he can replicate the Burt Bampton Cup form. I believe he scored three goals in the Burt Bampton Cup uh, this season in only two games, so it'll be interesting to see if he can replicate that form into the IPL. Um, and, look, Wollongong United obviously had that disappointing result against Olympic in round one, but in saying that, all their other results in 2020 have been positive. They've had a frat cut win and they are in the final of the Burt Bampton Cup. So, look... Results-wise, can't complain. They yeah. really can't complain yeah. other than that one disappointing result. So, look, I, I think uh, I think Wollongong United will win this one, but uh, I think this will be a very intriguing clash. And like you mentioned before, Jared. The, the game being moved to Ian McLennan Park at 4.30 on Sunday will play a difference, I think. Both teams, have, both teams have 
played on the synthetic pitch over the last few weeks as well. Obviously, Coromel only had that one half against Tarawana to finish off their game. United's had a couple in the Burt Bamford Cup midweek games as well. But that is Illawarra's 360 for this week. We are now moving on to MPL Corner. And the MPL 1 was back over the weekend. Round 2, some of the results. If you want to, if you want to see goals, don't go to Cromer Park on a Friday night because that's two nil-all draws to start the year for Manly United. They drew nil-nil with Western Sydney Wanderers. Mount Druitt had a two-all draw with Blacktown City. Sydney United had a one-nil win over North Shore Mariners, a last-minute winner as well. It was quite thrilling. Rockdale had a one-nil win over Marconi. And Sydney Olympic and Sydney FC, it's been well documented over the last couple of days, abandoned just after halftime due to a waterlogged synthetic field at Lambert Park. That was very interesting. Pretty sensational pitches there. I know. At Lamb Park, you wouldn't think a synthetic Not all of them are FIFA quality like Ann McLennan, you know, but the, oh. <laughs> the last fixture we're going to touch on is the local side. Wolves having a huge 4-1 win over Apia. Bull Juwak and Lachlan Scott with doubles. Currently don't have too many troubles with goals despite the departure of Thomas James still. Yeah, great stuff for the <laughs> Wollongong Wolves and fantastic goals as well. All, oh, all, all four of them. But I do want to touch on Bourgeois. Not only is he, is he a class prospect, he's a, he's a class player. Mm. He's, he's really good. And for, for a 19-year-old, he's just fantastic. And he made impacts off the bench last season, including scoring in and the, the winner in the NPL, yeah. championship game. And he's really stepped up. To fill the boot somewhat of Tom, with Thomas James leaving the leaving for Perth Glory, and oh, I just want to say that's a it's a massive credit to him, but it's also a massive credit to Luke Wilkshire for giving uh, him the confidence to step up and play in this first grade side that had, were successful last year. He wasn't afraid to give this uh, youngster a go, and I was just having a look. It's actually this. He's actually obviously he's. It's from South Sudan, but he was from Canberra. Mm. And this has actually come from a, a development pathway with Belcon United, which was set up about four or five years ago, which I vaguely remember. I was probably a bit skeptical mm. about at the time. I'm not sure about the, any other players that are coming through the walls through that pathway. But in this well, particular case, it's uh, bearing fruit. So fair play to uh, Bourjouak and the, the Wollongong Wolves on this front. And credit to the Wolves, obviously, there was a big scheduling fiasco surrounding this game, obviously, mm-hmm. 7 o'clock. They pushed it back to 7.30 kickoff at Leichhardt. Obviously, players had work. I think Blue players... John Simmons probably couldn't have got there. Yeah. <laughs> Blue players actually took a... Some players took a day off or half a day off. was finished early to get up there. But uh, they sent, the Wolves sent a message to the league, like, even if it's on your terms, we'll still beat you. 4-1 against Arpia is huge. It's, it's a like, big Arpia are... Arguably the biggest club in the in the and the scary thing league. about it is that looking at the highlights, it literally could have been more. Mm. It could have for one hundred percent. Modest, so look, yeah. And Simmons, was I want to mention it, yeah, uh, it was one of the Simmons, but it might have been Josh. It might have been Josh Simmons. It was a it was a superb. Was it wasn't just a strike. He, he took it from the centre back, beat a couple of players. Defending could have been a little bit better, but he, he, the brilliance he had to get through, we through those players and finish it off. Juros looked pretty good. Yes, Goal yeah. Well, he looks solid. I think that Wilkshire stated that he was uh, pretty frustrated. Obviously, the Wolves conceded just before half time by that strike. Think, yeah, he was very it, frustrated. It could have turned on its head. That, that was that was really the the only ten minutes or so that they were poor in the game, mm. and, and just before half time, that's disappointing. But for them to come out in the second half at Arpia to 
get a four-one victory is is commendable, and obviously there's still a couple of injuries in that Wolves lineup. Uh, Brendan Griffin and Nick Georgievich uh, returned to training this week. Um, probably not going to be in for the next fixture against Marconi. But uh, change much, wouldn't you? But look, yeah, it's yeah. Harrison Torino got his debut, his starting debut as well. So good on him there as well, and he played quite well. Um, watching, the I think it's well. massively commendable that Wilkshire's. Not afraid to play no. youngsters. Mm. He's not afraid to play IPL players. He's he's shown that. He's not afraid to play youngsters. And the sides, the sides, yeah, incredible. Well, like it the, really is. Out of, out of, out of it's the best Wolves side out of, I've seen. Out of, out, of the, out, yeah, out of the squad yeah. that played on the weekend, five former IPL players from the last couple of years got on the field. Mm. And that's like, I think we made probably two subs or something like that. So that's five out of possible 13 players on the field who have played IPL in the last couple of years. So, yeah, there you go. But um, that's definitely the most eye-catching result in the New South Wales MPL one so far since the season restart, holding the Wolves in very good stead. They do take on Marconi this weekend. Uh, the Butler will just go through the round three fixtures. We've got Arpia and Western Sydney Wanderers, 7 p.m. on a Friday at Lima Park again. Arpia love their Friday night games. I think they've got... I've got a lot of them. A lot of yeah. Blacktown City take on well, Sydney Olympic 7.30 p.m. Friday at Lily Holmes. Mount Drew take on Rockdale 7.00 p.m. Saturday at Poppendetta Park. The Wolves do take on Marconi 2.30 Sunday at Albert Butler Park. Sydney United will take on Manly United 3.00 p.m. Sunday at Adenza Park. And to round out their own, we've got Sydney FC against North Shore Mariners 6.30 Sunday at Illenden Sports Centre. Moving on to MPL 4 now and South Coast Flame Got up 2-0 over Western New South Wales Mariners. Their second win for the Flame in a row in Bathurst, nonetheless, in the worst possible conditions. Can we see the Flame making finals this year in NPL 4? Well, of course we could. They're uh, after finishing, what was it, third last year, and uh, they're in the top four at the moment. Obviously, very early days. That That's a, a good win. It's a clean sheet. Moves them into that top five. And they're still to ship a goal this season, which is pretty commendable three, three rounds in. And they're two points off the top. They've got Hurstville, Parramatta, and Prospect in the next three weeks. All sides that are below them. Um, Jordan and I watched them a few weeks ago against Granville, which they weren't overly impressive. But the, the likes of with Matt Mazeski coming back into that side is a huge inclusion. And uh, I think it was key for Sandy Lowcock to also get uh, his first goal. Uh, of the league season, he's a he's a very good striker. He should be one of the best strikers in that competition. And if he can get on a run, I think there's a, there's a chance that Flame could do do really well in the competition. And it's just a shame that, and I'll probably say it any time I'm talking about the NPL four. It's probably just a shame there's no pro rel mm. this year. Yeah, yeah. Who knows what would have happened if there was pro- promotion relegation? They do take on Hurstville FC on Saturday night at Illenden Sports Centre, and they are playing a couple of youngsters promoted from their uh, under-20s as well, which is good to see as well. Stingrays, unfortunately, suffered a 3-0 loss against Football New South Wales Institute last weekend. It was a dominant performance by Institute, but uh, the Stingrays won't be happy with a result like that. It's a brutal defeat. There's uh, no two ways about it. I was speaking with Bruce Tilton. He admitted that they just went up to the required the required standard to to get the result. Um, and the only thing that he did point out in his in an interview with uh, Josh Barlin, and I expanded uh, expanded on it on a conversation with him later on, was that they haven't been able to train like 
pretty much all the other clubs in this competition, in that competition, have been able to train uh, due to not having access to a synthetic field, which uh, I think is a massive issue that that needs to be talked about. Um, but yeah, three 0 against a side that they would have been expected to to defeat, I think would have been fair to say is a uh, is a bit of a knock. One point three games in, three games, four yep. games, three That's games it. in, is uh not fantastic, and it puts a bit of pressure on them if they want to play finals football this year. I think it might be four games. I'm not too sure, but. Uh... Yeah, it doesn't get any easy for them this weekend as well. They come up against MacArthur Rams, who are mm. always strong in the women's top division. Is it must-win for them this weekend? I, I, I don't think... I don't, I don't really... I haven't asked him directly what is he. I, mm. I imagine he's aiming for playing in the finals. But uh, if they are to get a result, even if it's a draw against MacArthur, who, who haven't been fantastic in that competition yet either, even if they were to get a result, I think that... Uh, could hopefully for them give them a bit of momentum to get things going because I think the they I'm not 100 sure but I think they might play Koalas after that which I think could be another potentially winnable game but yeah a result and I think their, it's um, the Bankstown City Lions who okay. are I think at the bottom of the league at the moment so yeah. definitely a winnable game and it's meant to be at home at JJ Kelly as well but touching on your synthetic pitch point as well now I'll throw out the question to all three of us. If you had the option to choose three fields in the Illawarra to put a synthetic field on today, where would you put it and why? I'll start with you, George. Well, George. 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 That was my uh, email. That was my first ever email. (laughs) George George with three cents. Uh, Uh, Look, do you want to know my first email? We can get this in as well. Yeah, go on. What is it? DJ.dill. What what did you Why didn't you keep it? I will never know. (laughs) D I L L. No way. No, 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 no. <laughs> DJ uh, Snake. Oh, oh, my word. Anyway, anyway your, your three pitches, your first one, uh, where would you stick a synthetic field in the Illawarra if you could today? Look, I'd, the first one, I'd, I'd stick one at Ocean Park at Winuna. I think that it's always pretty well accounted that the ground at Winuna, despite the fact that the ground staff for Winuna Football Club do their best to keep it up to a relative standard. It's probably one of the more bumpier pitches. The foundation's in, a bit hard next to beach. the yeah. league. And I actually think Ocean Park's a lovely place to watch football, to be honest. And I think it would be really good to see facilities upgraded there. Um, it's probably, uh, well, it is, well, it is close to Sydney in comparison to other IPL clubs or other Illawarra clubs. Uh, so that would be my first one. Second one, Moving further south, and we were sort of talking about this off uh, camera, Dylan, I would definitely have one at Jeringon, at Apple Noble Oval. Uh, I think that it could potentially, obviously this is an Illawarra podcast, but the Shoalhaven competition down there is fairly strong and it could play host to grand final days, etc. Um, big games at Jeringon, and I, I think that it would be a good market to tap into. The last one I had was... Uh, I would put one in Dapto. Uh, obviously, a large community. Um, at, Lake, at Lakelands? At Lakelands Oval, yeah, a large community. And that ground is another ground that probably needs a, a, a fairly substantial upgrade if I was to pick one. Well, yeah, look, they actually got torn up by um, some moron on a bike the other day as well. So there's a whole bike track, like bike tyre marks all the way through the ground now. So I hate I, seeing I hate that. It's like the most wanker behaviour. Mm. I just. Ugh. 
don't know. Anyway, I also think obviously it's a lot. It's a large community, but it's also a bit of a halfway point. People traveling from Wollongong and also people traveling south to up the coast to play football. I think it's probably a bit of a centre hub. Dapto could be in terms of having a synthetic pitch. Look, I'd love about ten more synthetic pitches in the Illawarra. Oh, don't we all? But uh, Dill, your three. Can I? Just, oh, I would love to see Dapto mm. um, also go hand in hand with the senior side as well. That'd be mm. fantastic. One and, of the showground. Um, yeah, <laughs> the dogs. Um, yeah, the dogs are. I think through I. So I tweeted about this last week. I had a list of about 10. Um, but the three venues that I see as a priority would be Albion Park. These are all for very similar reasons. Albion Park, big junior base, big community that's still growing as well. Um, big growth area, and it's also an outside fields. I'm not sure if – I think that most venues, a field that gets us one synthetic field should have outside fields. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, Albion Park at Terra Reserve there. Bowgowney, I think, has that central field, fenced in field with the outer grounds as well. I think that's got uh, a lot of legs there in the uh, mid-northern suburbs, I guess you could probably call them. And also Shell Harbour at uh, Myanbar, I think. Um, if you had a facility with so many fields there, that would look pretty I good. think Myanbar's underdeveloped and it could be turned into a fantastic facility. And if you were to have a synthetic field there, I think that'd be really positive. They're my first three. But I also want to connect this to that Stingrays chat. I think that the next synthetic field should involve a connection with the Stingrays because they need a a, um, a proper a proper ground that they can call their own. And uh, I have heard... Uh, Rumours about club them linking up with particular clubs that, to try and pull in government funding for a synthetic field. Um, not sure of the validity of these rumours, but I'd, I'd want to hope so because I think that mm. if, if the Stingrays were able to get a access to a synthetic field to train on uh, three times a week and play on, it would be a massive boost for them. But just like what Jordan said, we don't need one synthetic field. We don't need three synthetic, field, need synthetic fields. We need you know ten really, um, so that we are able to not have washout rounds. Um, like we just did, yeah. yeah. Well, my first one, and I've actually gone with John Cream Park, my first one. It's still one of my favourite facilities in the Illawarra, and I believe if a pitch got put in there, it would have sort of an Indenza Park feel about it. So you know how Indenza Park's got like caved in stands mm-hmm. just like that. Cream Park's got that similar... Um, feel I reckon as literally well. and figuratively there's a few dodgy seats at a denser park caved in well there you go but <laughs> yeah I reckon I reckon it'll have a similar feel about it I reckon it'd be a top 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 notch facility for grand finals Too as top. well the next one I've actually gone with Albert Butler Memorial Park as well it could transform the facility into another possible football hub and there's possibility of outside grounds as well what are you looking at me for <laughs> just struggling with my <laughs> yeah. I, the only thing on Albert Butler yeah while I would love to see develop I'm not sure if the Wolves actually own it. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, this is just hypothetical, yeah, this question as well. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I reckon it would be ideal for the Wolves, obviously, being the top men's club in the in the region as well. Sorry to interrupt again. Go on. I will say 
the, the Wolves have done a fantastic job. They have, since yeah, yeah. They have. To the standard it, is it because was, it's, uh, it used to be pretty rubbish. When the, yeah. when I've, when they first was said, oh, we're going to be playing some games, and I'm like, from far out, surely you're not going to be playing on this field mm. in the yeah, NPL. But it's, 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 yeah. it's probably, good. you know, bordering on JJ Kelly Park. Yes. Yeah. It's all good. My last one, and I've gone for a kind of like a smoky this one. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. It's just a bit out there. I've gone with Tarzley. <laughs> I've gone with Tarawana Oval. I reckon it'd be a superb location for a synthetic field nestled under the mountains on a Saturday afternoon. I reckon it'd be a good venue. <laughs> it's not for synthetic field isn't for the spectators. I'm just, I'm just saying. I reckon it'll be a nice. It make it turn it into a nicer area than what it is next to the Billy Galancy. Yeah, that's right. The uh, what is it called? The Ro- the Ross Hamilton Stand. Billy Galancy is the little bar, the little corner. Yeah, yeah, that little bar. Yeah, that's a nice little bar actually. But that's NPL corner. We've got the Australian. <laughs> <laughs> We've got the Australian football. Cheers, Jeff. <laughs> Thanks, mate. We've got the Australian football chat now, and this first one is a bit, a uh, bit out there. There's talks of Phil Neville becoming in the running for the Matildas job. It's a bit far fetched. Do you reckon it's going to happen, Jordan? Well, you can never rule out anything in Australian football. I was going to say football, but let's say Australian, just... let's leave it Australian football. He's set to leave his role in the in the English national. Uh, I believe he's is he the women's coach? He's gone. He's gone now. Yeah. yeah. So he's. But he. I was. I thought it was interesting. I. I, I didn't really have a take on it, and I did some research. I was looking at uh, Samantha Lewis on Twitter. She's a, a journalist for the Guardian, and is a obvious a, a constant guest appearance maker on the SBS The World Game uh, weekly show. Uh, she pointed out that. Phil Neville once said that he would take the England women's job as a stepping stone for the men's national team. I think if you... To men's men's club. Sorry, yeah. It's still the same point. Yeah. Yeah. I think that in terms of this is probably the most important appointment in history of the Matildas. Oh, it probably definitely is. Ever. I don't think that Phil Neville is probably the man to... or person to take this job. I think that... It, could, it probably should go to someone else. They've obviously, there's been reports that they've approached Joe Montemiro, obviously the Arsenal women's team coach and an Australian citizen, but he has turned down a couple of offers. They've also asked uh, former USA World Cup women's winning coach, Jill Ellis. Uh, but the main issue there is that there is reports that her uh, salary, I guess, would be too high for FFA to afford. Look, I... Oh. I don't. I, I can see it happening. I probably would prefer another candidate, but look, it's there's only so many people probably in the position to take a women's national team job or any national team job for that matter. I be interesting to see how this develops. I, I don't think it will happen, but who knows? It, whoever they choose, it has to be spot on this point because we got the three most important years in Australian women's football history almost you can almost throw in Australian football history as well because we there's three massive events for this side and if we get it right something it, it could transform football in this country but um yeah it's gonna be interesting interesting who they choose pretty much but uh what are you looking at me for? You got to ask me for my opinion. You want an you opinion? opinion? You want I've an opinion? Got, <laughs> I've got a stronger opinion about it. Go on, take it off. I think that it'll take be an it absolutely, on. completely backward step if they appoint Phil Namor. The, the comments that he's made throughout his time as a women's 
national team, England national team coach is pretty pathetic. I wouldn't understand if he did want to transition to men's football. I don't know why he would take another women's football mm. job for one, uh, only because he'd go be coaching the host country is the only thing I would think about, but it's a completely backwards step. Um, I think it should be an Australian. I'm of that opinion that it should be an Australian. Two, I ideally I do believe it should be a woman, but there are examples of uh, coaches that like Joe Montemara that you, you mentioned that are dedicated to the women's game. Which, and I think that's point three. That most importantly, it should be someone with a dedication to Woso, really. Mm. And Phil Neville just isn't, isn't that. And mm. England, it's interesting how you mentioned how this is such an important period for Australian women's football and Australian football. England's team was also that he coached was also mm. their golden generation mm. and he didn't really get the best out of them. They did do well in the World Cup, but they didn't set the world on fire. They they didn't really look like while they came, I got to the semis, they weren't that convincing. And I don't think it'd be a terrible appointment, really. And I don't know, I don't know if even if you could pick up a, a I don't even know if Harry Kewell's coaching Oldham. I don't know where Phil Neville's going to really end up. Mm. And and just saying, the Poms voted against us in the uh, World Cup hosting rights, so. Stuff, yeah. <laughs> Next one. We've got uh, talk about boutique stadiums and a stadium debate in from the NRL again as well. It's been recent talks around boutique rugby league stadiums with obviously the ANZ stadium redevelopment falling through. Is it boutique? Oh, they're trying <laughs> to call it. Sure tro- no, I'm trying pretty to call sure it's boutique. Boutique, boutique my bad. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's boutique. You're, 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 I'll you're, tell you what it is. It's not boutique. <laughs> Sorry, Botox. Bit of Botox. Bit of Botox. Botox. <laughs> but yeah, obviously the ANZ Stadium redevelopment talks fell through. <laughs> yeah, I was going to let it slide. Jordan's little said about three times, and I was like, "Nah." Uh, talk a bit more about your Botox stadium. <laughs> <laughs> but look, with this stadium talk, why is this talk being dominated by the NRL? Like, where can we stick these new NRL grounds and stuff like that? You know, where's our voice, Jordan? <sighs> I mean, it's such a complex issue. And I think it stems from the fact that, obviously, to build boutique stadiums, you need... <laughs> you know, I didn't use that You need funding from, in particular, state governments. And they're just in state government and federal government at the moment. There is not a lot of football people. And they're very... If they are any skewed by any sport, it is either NRL or AFL or Rugby Union or cricket as well to an extent, but we're not talking about that's not in, in this example. But look, you look at the – there's been upgrades put in place, i.e. the upgrade of Campbelltown Stadium for the new A-League side, the MacArthur Rams, but that would also be used by other NRL – MacArthur Bulls. Team. MacArthur yeah. Bulls, yeah. <laughs> the Rams, knew what the I mean. Rams from Anthill 3 to – They're making the story the rise. Wow. Uh, but that no, that stadium would be used for, by NRL clubs. I'm thinking West Tigers in particular, off the top of my head. So it's not solely owned by the A League club. So I, I, I just don't see how a boutique stadium can happen at the moment. I wish it were more simple than that. But if you look at the obviously the a Sydney football stadium, the Allianz Stadium knockdown, that'll be spectacular. 
But again, it's not a boutique stadium, and again, it's would be used by the Sydney Roosters, the New South Wales Waratahs as well. So it's shared. I just don't think I don't think there's any people. I don't think people see there's an investment in football boutique stadiums at the moment, which no. maybe is fair enough. But, but well, why just, are, why are all these other codes getting all this government funding and we're getting nothing? Is it lack of lobbying from our leaders, for example? Is it lack of drive? I don't think it's. It's not from a lack of trying from uh, obviously clubs and, and even grassroots roots clubs as well to get funding for not even just boutique stadiums like you could have grassroots clubs just getting funding for for new equipment etc. But I I I do think it stems back from the argument and the point that I made earlier that there doesn't seem to be a lot of football people in in government at the mm. moment. So I don't I think we're pushing you know what up a hill so to speak at the moment. What are we pushing up the hill? <laughs> Deal your tape on it. It's a tricky situation because there's no doubt that the AFL and the NRL have a massive influence over politics. You look at a number of... Uh, um, you look at ScoMo, he's a he's well-publicised, diehard... But a lot, of boards, a lot of boards in the AFL, in particular, I'm not as sure about in, in the NRL, have ex-politicians on their boards. Mm. So they have direct connections to it, and definitely in Victoria. The AFL is FIFA for that sport. And... Like it or not, it is massive down there. So in, in Victoria, it's um, it's a miracle that we've got been able to get Amy Park as it is, mm. which is the close is a boutique stadium. Even though uh, uh, shared, the Rebels yeah. and Storm also play mm. there as well. Mm. Um, I think yeah, well, Amy Park City and Melbourne City and Melbourne Victory should be playing there every week, like one week after the other, if it was possible. Because mm. I think that Eddie Ad Stadium or whatever Marvel Stadium, it's is not making football. I just horrible. don't think there's no, like, this is, we all know this. Simon Hill's been banging these drums ever since he rocked up here. Um, that sounds a bit... <laughs> no, it sounds fine, I'm going. Um, we would rather a full full wind stadium or a full Leichhardt Oval or a full Central Coast Mariners, um, Central Coast Stadium than... The same amount of people in a fifty thousand seat stadium, exactly. no, and everyone. This is this this discussion's got happened a billion times. That the Allianz didn't need, didn't really need an upgrade. People are like, oh, no. it wasn't. It was not that bad, and it was rarely full. Mm. It was very rarely full. Mm. And interestingly enough, the only time it was full was for Sydney Derby. And it's, and it's been redeveloped and still going to be the same amount of seats. But I don't think there is a massive issue if if there's a sellout for Derby games. Like, say, say there's it's a good thing that in many ways that if, if it's 25,000 seat, it's a sold out and there's 25,000 people that wanted to go, can't go, mm. in the sense that that drives... I think that adds something. Yeah. Uh, it adds a want to. Like those games and... before Parramatta was redeveloped. Yeah. Those Western Sydney derbies were raucous. They were mm. brilliant. Um, yeah. But the reason why is because we, football doesn't have political influence and um, ultimately doesn't have money. We have we no. have we have. Uh, That's the point. We have things. club club owners that don't want to invest in their. In them, in themselves, I think that if Sydney FC, this is probably the great criticism of Sydney FC. If they were to be the biggest club in Australia, I think they should be really pushing for their own stadium. Mm-hmm. I think um, 
like their games at Cobra are probably their best games. Mm. I think in terms of an atmosphere, you, you go to more than me, but I've been at games at mm. Allianz. I've been at games at um, at Cobra as well, and uh, I think it's a great atmosphere there. Mm. And I think that if they were for France for money, I don't think it would be impossible to get a ground like well this season. Cobra. This season at uh, the well, earlier in the season for lockdown, there was the Sydney FC versus Melbourne City game. That was at Cobra, and there was about, I say, a bit short of 20,000, but that's all that is full for Cobra. Mm. And the atmosphere rivaled that, or if not better, 90% of the atmospheres I've seen at Allianz Stadium over the years. The only time Allianz Stadium is good was derbies, grand finals, semi finals, etc. Mm. I just I just prefer the feel of a boutique Sydney FC stadium. And in a sense, it probably doesn't suit the Sydney FC, like Bling FC title where they probably need the best, bigger, biggest and best of everything in terms of stadiums and players and whatnot. But I don't think that any side in the A-League... I think have... having an Amy Park would. Mm. would well, it like yeah, it if would. it was exactly... Yeah. Like, I'm not saying buy Cogra and leave it as it is. Yeah. I'm saying buy Cogra and develop it into a... Boutique. I think a, I think a U-shaped stadium... Mm. With a hill, because I think I love hills. I love a hill too. Mm, Obviously, yeah. we're Wollongong boys, so we love hills. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> a U-shaped stadium would be would add to that mm. that image. Mm. And I think having your own stadium would add to that image. And um, at the moment, I, I think Sydney FC are the uh, need to be pushing for that. Mm. I think they're the best chance to do it. Mm, I don't know definitely. whether they will. But but like Victory, are obviously the other. Rival the other biggest club. Well, you look at them, but they don't need it. Like they do have access to that. You could almost throw in Melbourne City as well. They've got the backing of one of the biggest football groups in the world. Mm. You know, they they they. I don't think they would be as invested in Australian football. They're more invested in the club. So why come in? But to be fair, they their academy down there is sensational. Yeah, Melbourne's fantastic. Yeah, but anyway. Touching on Sydney FC as well. What's going wrong with them since the uh, the restart? Just five points since the restart. The bottom half of the league points earned since the restart. Diehard Sydney fans asked to join them. What's going wrong? Look, I I don't think we're going to be throwing the uh, throwing the book at Steve Corrigan just yet. I'm, oh God, no! I, I'm <laughs> throwing the book at him. Bimby out. Bimby out. Yeah. What a chance. I, 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 don't know. I, I just Bimby. <laughs> I just think that obviously every team has. Would start a little bit slower after the the come the you know the re, the resumption of the season. They got that first win against Wellington Phoenix, and to be honest, that could have gone either way. That game, I think the Newcastle Jets game threw them off a little bit. I think they took the lead in that one, and they they, they didn't look too bad the other night against Brisbane though. They weren't that bad. Yeah, well, the game against Brisbane, they their lineup included a few youth. Youthful faces, obviously Patrick Flotman, Joel King, who's an established player. Van der Sarg, Vanovic. How good was Vanovic, though, in his 45-minute cameo? For that 45 minutes? I've... I think he got picked man of the match and he played 45 minutes. Did he? Or did you yeah. give him man of the match? No, dead set. <laughs> that was on Sydney's Insta. Yeah, have a look. All right. Yeah, have a look. No, we'll... <laughs> oh, oh, it's credible. No, we'll... I swear. Look at it. Quick. <laughs> I think Vanovic is a, is a anyone top player. Who, anyone who says I'm a liar is a dog. <laughs> But I was saying, Dylan and I had this but discussion the other day. I, I, I don't think Luka Vanovic starts for Sydney FC. I don't think he's better than Ninkovic or Vladfrondra or Barbarusis or Alex Bumyahan. So I think he's an impact player. And if he can get himself fit, he's an impact there player. There you go. 
I wasn't doubting that he wasn't. I wasn't doubting that he wasn't better than match. It was good. He probably was better than match. To be fair, he's not better than Bahanja. No, that's right. Yeah. Well, so it's either he stays with Sydney and continues. We've gone on a Vanovich tangent, but we 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 he stays with Sydney. Youth talent is a is a youthful talent, and he plays thirty minutes every week, or he goes to another club and plays nine. He's only twenty. Yeah, not even. I don't think. is 120, so, you know, I think chill. Like, he is playing. Mm. That's exactly right. He gets injured. He hasn't played much, though. The the only two times he's started in the A-League, he scored goals in both those games. So it's a good return for him. Well done to him. Do you reckon it's just a premiership hangover for Sydney? I don't. I'm not of the impression that Sydney is struggling. Obviously, a couple of... Uh, disappointing results, but I think that if they get a result against Western United uh, on, I believe it's Saturday night, then no one will be talking about it and it'll be Sydney FC, uh, oh, yeah. the, the top side They're in back, the league. Yeah. If they beat Western United 4 0, then no one will no give, a, give a stuff no. about the last four weeks and they've only got to win one game and they're in the grand final. So I'd, I'm not of the impression that they're under, under any sorts of uh, pressure. And I know Steve Corica will. Definitely, uh, with his experience under under Graham Arnold for many years, have uh, many a strategies to get the team switched on for the uh, final series. And Sydney have been the, the benchmark of the A League for the last five seasons, so I don't think they'll be foreign to a, f- uh, a few um, strategies to get the best out of their players. One more uh, young player who featured the other night as well. We touched on Luka Vanovic, but Dylan Wenzel Hall's also got on the score sheet for Brisbane. He's been in, in, in quite good form since the restart, but he hadn't played much at all throughout the rest of the season beforehand under Robbie Fowler. Seems like he's having, he's having a good impact. Is it time to give guys like this like, like this more of a chance, more minutes to make their claim in the league? You know, look what happened to Daniel Arzani. Obviously, he's a bit of, like, he's a diamond in the rubble, but, you know... He, there's a chance that a player like that could be in the rough. In the rough, yeah. <laughs> Boutique, rough, you know. But if you give, both, you were wrong on both occasions. I know that's what I'm saying. But is it time to give players like these more minutes to make their claim on the league? Well, I think. <laughs> I think Dylan Winslow's played a lot of minutes last season in a pretty abysmal Brisbane side. Um, for whatever reason, he didn't seem to get a run under Robbie Fowler. Um, but look, he's he's definitely a one of the hottest prospects in terms of young performers in the A-League at the moment. And yeah, I 100% agree he should be getting more minutes, but it comes down to uh, to coaches' experience over youth. And I, I think that more coaches are not through whether or not they're forced to or they want to in the A-League is are picking the, these younger players and they're seeing a little bit of a changing of the, the guard, so to speak. A few of the veterans of the A-League era are retiring. I think of Andrew Durante is like, like close to forty now. Um, obviously, Bessar Barisha is moving on, moving on in age as well. So there'll be a time where players like Denzel, Dylan Wenzel Halls and Luke Ivanovic will be starting every week and will be the new crop of experienced players. Good point. That's the Oz football chat for this week, and that's our podcast for this week. Dylan, thanks for coming on again. Welcome. Appreciate it. Thanks very much, George, again. I, I enjoy every, Love your work. every day we do this, Jared. It's fantastic, isn't <laughs> it? See you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Be sure to like us on Insta, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep listening to the podcast. We do appreciate it. We'll see you guys next week.